Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is to you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. All right, welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. I'm your co-host, Under Howe. Man, we're excited. We have another episode to bring to you today with a special guest, uh, one, of, one of my favorite uh, guys, um, third-round draft pick out of Stanford University, three-year starter, uh, Justin Reed. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, everybody? Appreciate you guys having me on, man. For sure, for sure. Absolutely, man. We're excited, man. Uh, our podcast and premise is just really about uh, diving into our guests' stories, their journeys, you know, the ups and downs. Most people always seem to see the finished product and just, you know, oh, it must have been so easy for you to be able to achieve the success you have. So we like to dive into it, talk a little bit about it. Uh, acronym for our podcast, HYPE, stands for Helping Young People Excel. So again, that's what it is about, giving information to those coming behind you. So mm. um, our, our outline is pretty much the same so we like to just start from the beginning just tell us a little bit about where you from where you're from what it was like growing up and then a little bit about your family structure and your dynamics yeah so um i'm one of four really five Uh, i'm the youngest in my family um i grew up in just outside baton rouge louisiana in the suburbs place called prairieville um my area actually blew up a whole lot after katrina there's a large uh, movement of people out of New Orleans into Ascension Parish, um, which is the area that I grew up with. I have three brothers and a sister, um, really two blood brothers, and we have another brother that, you know, just super, super close family friend. Um, he actually lives in Long Beach. Um, both my parents are together, um, been together 20 plus years. Um, and yeah, I just grew up in an athletic family and an athletic household. My dad was a track guy he ran track at lsu um had a a record that stood for 20 years in the 110 hurdles um my mom grew up as one of six and had five brothers um so and she grew up in the country too i'm talking Opelousas, just outside lake charles for all of you that know where that's at um so she know she know good food she know how to cook she throw down when she in the kitchen um but she also played semi-pro football you know um before she had all of us you know (laughs) so she tell everybody that we get our football talents from her and that be like we get our speed from him. Um, my sister's the oldest and I have an older brother, Eric, that a lot of people are familiar with um, that's played in the NFL too. Um, he, he's got seven years in the league. And then I have another two brothers, Ryan and Shaq. And then my sister, uh, Christina, did softball. That's what's up, man. When did you start playing sports? I'm like, which sports did you start playing? Uh, who inspired you to play sports? Yeah, man, I, I just grew up my whole life playing sports, bro. It was like since I was three, four years old, you know, it really all started with soccer. I feel like that's where me and all my brothers started with. Um, Ryan is the only one who kept playing soccer all the way through college. Um, but I grew up playing soccer when I was real young, um, like in like 10, 10 years old, 12 years old. Uh, my father was big on us playing every sport that we could year round, you know. When soccer season ended, we went to basketball. When basketball ended, we went to baseball. Baseball ended, we did football, you know, track. We, we played all of them. I was on a swim team for two years, too. 
um, I got third in state in the uh, in the freestyle. So you know, uh, but eventually he just let us all kind of choose our own way, right? And Shaq ended up being a track guy. My sister did softball. My brother Ryan kept playing soccer, and me and Eric did football. And you know, it's funny because I originally didn't want to play football, but going into high school, um, my football coach Benny Saya. Uh, my freshman year, I didn't come out in the summer of my freshman year to come play football because I was like, I'm just going to play soccer and track. Um, and then he came and got me out of class. He grabbed me out of class because at this point, my brother Eric was doing his thing at LSU, um, you know, being a being the star player that he was over there. So then he came and, like, he didn't get it. He was like, you don't even want to try and play football? So um, long story short, he convinced me to come out and play Um I was real upset the after the first couple of weeks because I knew I was it wanted just one of the better athletes. I wanted to be on the field, you know, just a competitive spirit in me. Um, eventually, I did got my opportunity. Um, I just had a knack for it, you know. And I had a little bit of help in that. Having an older brother that played too was able to, you know, pass down some knowledge to me, um, which is which he's done my whole career. Um, and it, and you know, since then the rest was history. So, and that's and that's perfect because I really wanted to talk about you um, and your high school experience and. Uh, was there any uh, pressure being that, you know, coming behind your brother who had become this local star and state national star? So was it any pressure? I mean, you still, like you yeah. said, dad, older brothers, all that sort of the, the pressure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. There were, there were big shoes to fill. Um, for a long time, I was Eric Reed's little brother. You know what I mean? And I don't feel like I grew out of that until after maybe my second, third year at uh, in college. You know, but And that's part of the reason why I also wanted to go, too, is kind of, you know, blaze my own trail, um, not be a carbon copy. Um, but we are very similar players, though. Um, but, you know, growing up, though, you know, because he always did so well. He Like, even in high school, he was a, um Old Spice All-American and everything. He had all these accolades. And it was definitely big shoes to fill. And you felt that pressure. Um, but at the same time, um, like, that's kind of what, what, what drove me, you know, because I always wanted – and it was healthy competition, but I always wanted to be brother, better than my brothers, you know what I mean? Even when I was a little kid, like, five, six years old, even when it was, like, video games. Um, they would beat me, and then I'd go and spend hours on a game um, reading the manual and learning all the controls just so I could come back <laughs> to them. And then as soon as I beat them, then they didn't want to play that no more. They wanted to play another game that they could come and beat me at, you know? Um, but it was definitely it was definitely very motivating and uh, and and they pushed me um, to to new heights. Before we hop into your the recruiting process with Dre, I just really want to ask you both of you Louisiana guys talking about football in the state of Louisiana being such a hotbed and breeding ground for some of the most incredible athletes. You know, I just want to maybe hear about y'all perspective and and maybe what is the reason for such talent coming out of Louisiana. Yeah, I don't even know, man. The, the city, the, the state is so small, but you got so much talent in the state, and it's it's like in pockets, you know. what I mean, they got some bad rude, they got some like in the city parish, they got some you know different parish and stuff like that. So it's hard to like pick out the one spot where all the guys are coming from. But a lot of a lot of come from New Orleans, but at the same time, they come from all mm -hmm. over the state. So it, it's it's weird, man. It's a weird state. Yeah, and I think it's that it's just the culture of Louisiana, you know, with LSU and with the Saints, that mm -hmm. all of our best athletes in the state all play, for the most part, football. You know what I mean? Even the good basketball players still want to play football. You know, in other states, and especially in, like, California, there's – in California still, because it's so massive, that's why stuff so many people come out. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a whole lot of other things to do. 
You know what I mean? We go right. out, we go out, we play ball in the street, we play ball, you know, down the block, you know, just just whatever. That's just all we had. We didn't have really, mm-hmm. at least for me, you know, growing in Baton Rouge, we didn't have a whole lot of concerts, a whole lot of outdoorsy stuff to go do. We just played outside all day. You yep. know, rumble, rumble, all that. That makes sense, man. Being from Florida, being from South Florida, we 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 have a, a lot of guys come out of the state, especially in football. But it's just like it's been a part of our culture. Just it was just a lot of times yeah. the only way out for a lot of people. So you just kind of following those footsteps, man. So no doubt, I, I like I said, I always had high much respect for the guys that are coming out of uh, out of the state of Louisiana. Definitely. Hey, Eric, talk about, your, talk about your recruiting process, man. Uh, you know, your brother went to LSU. You know, it was all-star LSU, first round pick LSU. Yeah. Um, how do, you, how do you make the decision to leave, you know, Louisiana? Yeah, and, and a lot of other people, you know, everyone assumed that I was just going to go to LSU, too. And yeah. shit, I even thought so for a long time, you know, because <laughs> my whole family did, you know, my mom, dad, brother, sister, um, and – and uh. Oh, yeah, mom, dad, brother, sister, I had all went. And, you know, I grew up on it. You know, I went to every game on Saturday night. Um, Saturday night in Death Valley, you know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. it was insane, you know, the atmosphere that was there. Um, but my recruiting process, you know, I, I decided to take all my visits, you know, and I went to – I visited Notre Dame. I visited um, Stanford, Texas Tech, LSU, um, and Oklahoma was my fifth one. You know, I just wanted to kind of go out and see around. But but really, it was always, for the most part, it was LSU and Stanford. And I say Stanford for a couple of reasons. Because it just ended up being the perfect storm with my brother being drafted to San Francisco down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, with Dwayne Aquina, who had just come from um, Texas, who had coached a bunch of cats like Earl Thomas, Kenny Vaccaro, uh, Sage Griffin. He had a long resume of guys. And then, you know, it was just, it was just the opportunity – um, that going out to that school had provided for just uh, as far as networking and meeting people. Um, but it was, a, it, was, it was really tough, man, to make that decision. I actually didn't make the decision until the night before signing day because I was so back and forth. Um, even Akina thought, he, like, he sat me down one time. He was like, hey, just be honest with me, man. You're going to LSU, right? <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, man, I don't know yet. I don't know yet, you know. Um, but yeah, I made a decision. Still got, you know, still got LSU. Big love for LSU in my heart. Um, but I made the decision to go to Stanford and never look back on it. So, so um, just having that conversation with your dad or parents, you know, was it? How, how did they take it? How did they embrace like you making that decision? Yeah. So my dad was. My dad has always been a hundred percent supportive of me and my brothers just going out and making our own decisions. You know, mm-hmm. I, we were raised very independent. They raised us. Uh, really take care of our stuff you know um they they let us have a longer leash um in the sense that as long as they we were taking care of our business school wise you know making our grades taking care of our business then they kind of let us be able to have that responsibility and to make our own decisions you know my mom on the other hand she really wanted me to go to LSU she was kind of pushing me like no you need to stay you know you don't stay close to home um but just going back to how I was growing up again you know um like I did my own clothes. Like whenever I needed to be somewhere for an appointment, I let them know myself. Like I kept track of when I had an appointment, I had to be somewhere and I just let them know I needed a ride. It wasn't them keeping track for me and letting me know. Yeah. You know, so it was like taking that ownership and accountability. And I feel like that foundation um, that was laid really helped me just in life be successful to, to really, you know, take responsibility and control of uh, the situations around me. Absolutely, man. And that, and that, you know, and that just, 
all makes sense. And knowing you and knowing the type of person you are, that all makes sense. Now you did decide Stanford, um, but how did having your brother just a, a, a you know a couple miles down the road? Um, how did he, his impact help you as far as making that adjustment from high school to college and just how you approach the game? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, his wife, Jade, is a great cook. So that was part of the deal for me to go out there. <laughs> like I, need, I needed some home-cooked meals. Um, but, you know, it, it was very impactful because I would literally go over to his house and the game that they played that week, he would break down the film with me and talk to me about the differences between um, college and NFL and how – Typically in the NFL, you know, things have started changing with the dual threat quarterbacks coming more into play. Um, but typically in the history of the NFL, like quarterbacks aren't as mobile. You know, teams aren't as willing to have their quarterbacks be hit as much as they are in college. So in college, you'll see a lot more zone reach, whereas in the league, there's only a couple of cats that are doing that. You know, um, like your Cam Newtons and Deshaun Watsons um, and Kyler Murray and stuff like that. But he was able to, to teach me things before I got here so that when I got here, um, it didn't feel as unfamiliar. You know what I mean? It was still new. It was still different um, going through it and being introduced to my league and stuff, and I had my own growing pains. Um, but not everything felt like it was the first time. You know what I mean? So just being able to go and watch him play and, you know, kind of get a feel for the league, not only on the field but also the business side of it, um, what life is like as an NFL athlete, you know, handling your finances. He would tell me a bunch of stories of where guys may have went wrong, you know, just financial issues, maybe how I saw the issues with um, kind of the problems that happened with family, you know, that, that came down to money, both in our own family and then stories from other guys' families that he kind of just told me about. You know, I was able to learn from that, and I felt like it gave me a good perspective um, whenever I did finally reach the NFL on how to handle these situations um, in the best way that I saw fit. Hey, talk about your, your team success and your, and your individual success at uh, Stanford. Okay, so at Stanford, um, when I first got there, I think it was, it was coming off of a rough year. You know, I think mm -hmm. they had went like seven to five, I think the year before I got there. Um, so the off season was, uh, was very tense. It was very, you know, get back on track. Um, and then that year ended up being pretty good. I was supposed to, I remember one story. I was supposed to start my first game um, I think it was the third game of the season. It might have been against Colorado. And I was two minutes late to the meeting. <laughs> and my coach benched me for it. And, Dang. you know, that was a valuable lesson for me because I was never late to a meeting oh, or a game <laughs> ever again. Um, but, you know, fast forward, I ended up um, starting about, you know, a third of the way through my freshman year, um, really just getting a whole bunch of playing time. It was really like a three-year rotation, starting really for the most part. My sophomore year, we won the Rose Bowl my freshman year. Um, Chris McCaffrey was there. Kevin Hogan was still there. Um, those are two of the big cats. Uh, Austin Hooper was still there my freshman year. Um, then the next year, we went to the Alamo Bowl. Uh, my sophomore season, uh, I had just one interception, had a bunch of opportunities, didn't make the most out of all of them. But I was still playing a bunch of safety, and I also started transitioning into that nickel role. And then my last year, my third year, is when uh, Coach King really started to, you know I mean, I started to really play DB. You know, I played nickel. I played both safeties. I played dime. I played a, a couple of times corner, you know, just to, for Akina to switch me up to different techniques so that I'd be able to play in different situations and really become a well-rounded DB. 
Um, I ended up having five interceptions that year. Ended up being a second team All American. Um, was a was a um, was voted on to uh, as a as a finalist for the Thorpe. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't make the top three. But was like in the top top five, top eight. Um, and you know that really came to the decision to where I really had difficulty before I wanted to choose if I wanted to go to the league because I. I was struggling with where I wanted to come back or not because I really enjoyed my experience at Stanford, both, you know what I mean, on the field and in the classroom. Um, it, was a, it was a really cool environment, a dope community. Um, and it really just came back, okay, do I want to come back and be the first Thorpe Award winner um, that Stanford's ever had or am I ready to go? You know what I mean? And one of the things that actually helped me is I sat down with Coach Shaw, um, the head coach at Stanford. He, he told me, it was like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, you're ready to go, mm. you know. So, so that that really struck home for me, and I respected the hell out of them for for being so honest. Because typically, college coaches don't do that. You know, what I mean, they want to keep their best players. Absolutely, and um, that's and, he told me and, I was ready. To, to and that's win. something that's not like you said typical because you know college sports is a business, right? And you know, coaches in most cases they're gonna do everything to kind of protect their jobs and you know, giving them mm. the best opportunity to win. So the fact that uh, Coach Shaw had that. Uh, conversation with you and was willing to tell you, hey, man, you know, you've done everything you could on this level. Um, you know, I, I bless you to go, go ahead and take your talents to the next level. So, I mean, that's big respect for that because uh, that's, that's yeah. not difficult. And, you know, and I even have another contra- contrasting story to that, even with my older brother, whenever he made the decision to leave after his third year. Um, you know, I mean, the staff there had hired people. I don't know how legal this is with the NCAA. They had hired people to come tell, like, come and tell him as you know, under the illusion as an NFL scout or whatever, it's like, oh, you're not even like you might not even get drafted if you leave right now. So you might you probably go undrafted. They told him this, you know, after his junior season, you know what I mean? And he ended up being the 18th overall pick. You know what I mean? So that just shows you the other side of the business, how, you know, a lot of these, you know what I mean, organizations want to keep their best players even in the college level. I never heard anything wow. like that. That's crazy. Oh, man, it happens I all the time. I never heard anything like that. It happens all the time. How was your pre-draft experience, man? I know mine was crazy, you know what I mean? Just going through that draft stuff, <laughs> it's, it's a lot, dog. It's a lot. And uh, yeah. where you thought you were going to go? Who you thought was going to get you? Yeah, man, I really thought I was going to go to uh, Pittsburgh or Carolina. That's okay. where I truly thought I was going to go. And then that same year was when the whole Kelvin Benjamin thing happened. Mm. And then they ended up really needing a wide receiver. I think they ended up drafting DJ Moore instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pittsburgh thing, they ended up drafting another safety, um, Edmonds. Um, but I ended up taking a visit to some crazy, like, 25 years, man. I'll never forget that year. It was the most hectic year ever, you know. You're going from city to city, literally in three-day trips. I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, go on three different teams, um, take an off day back home, and then go on another three-day trip. You know, and it was it was it was – you know, it was unforgettable. It was very tiring. You didn't really sleep much, especially at the combine. Um, man, the combine isn't isn't roses and rainbows like like mm-hmm. everyone thinks it is. Man, no Drake can tell you too. <laughs> man, it's actually it's actually yeah. a pretty. You know, it's it's fun. It's a cool memory, but yeah. man, you didn't eat good. You didn't sleep good. Yeah. They had you up at five a.m. There's a train that's going through the station the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky. And that I didn't have a roommate, but most people had a roommate, and mm-hmm. God forbid your roommate snored or, or something like that. Yeah, man. But, yeah. but it was definitely a cool experience, you know? Yeah. 
Dre, Dre talks about his uh about his uh draft uh combine experience too, man. I, and I, I worked the combine all the years that I was in the NFL. So knowing that you guys are getting pulled in so many different directions all day long, from the testing to the meetings to the to the train station where you're inside, mm-hmm. it's, it's organized chaos, man. That's definitely a better way they can do that, man. But definitely. I, I don't think they want to change it. I just think uh, what, was, what was the term they love using? It was like hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. You're going to sprint there. You're going to get there on time. Just to wait an hour or two before you actually get to do anything. Unbelievable, <laughs> man. So, uh, again, you, you, you your draft process going around all these different teams. Let's talk about draft night, right? So, um, what was that like for you sitting and waiting? Because, again, we knew all the, pra- the, the pre-draft ratings, you know, first-rounder, talent, you know. So, talk about just kind of sitting through that yeah. process and how, 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 how you dealt yeah. with it. Um, when I had got my grade back, um, the, this pre-draft grade, it was set first round at the latest second round. You know what I mean? And so I was going into the draft very optimistic. Um, I ended up doing it at home. I got to do the draft scene with my brother when he did it in New York in 2013. Um, I ended up doing mine at home. I wanted to keep it small because I knew that there was, at this point, there was some pressure in the sense that I knew there was some traction from all the attention that my brother and Colin Kaepernick were getting with the social justice protests. And I knew that that may play a role. And you know, my agent was also informing me just how like shallow a lot of these execs are when it comes to decision making and how it's not always logical or, you know, like how things that shouldn't matter, matter to them. Um, so, but I was still very confident I'll go in the first or second round. So that first night, you know, the names start getting called. Um, you know, first day goes by, I didn't end up being a first round pick, you know? And I accepted it. I was like, okay, I knew this was a possibility. You know, second day comes around. Um, they start going through the second round. The end of the second round comes to end. At this point, like, I'm like, what is going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, my heart sunk. I felt, you know, honestly, I felt a little bit embarrassed, you know, because I was like, I was, I was so, you know, excited. So I had such high expectations for myself. You know, I'm very proud. And I, I thought for sure I was going to go in this certain spot, and then it didn't happen, man. And then, actually, it's a funny story. I don't even know how much my family knows this, but I had walked out of the house. Like, at my whole, like there was a draft party going on inside of the house, and I was so frustrated that I just – I didn't say anything to anybody. I just slipped out of the house. I started walking down the street just to be alone with my thoughts, just about thinking about, like, what's happening to me? Like, what, why did this happen? <laughs> You know, and then while I'm walking down the street, I actually got the phone call um, from the Houston Texans. Um, and, it, you know, it's a funny feeling whenever your name does finally get called is that all those um, previous feelings of anxiety, even though I didn't go first or second like I hoped, whenever I did finally get that phone call, uh, I still felt like it still, it still was an amazing feeling, though, because I finally had a, a destination at a place that I knew I was going. Um, you know, in some ways, they didn't have a first or second round pick. So, you know, I tell myself to feel better. I was their first round pick. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. I remember sitting in the draft room and, like, seeing you fall. And they started to talk about, man, this kid fall to us, man. There's no question that we're going to take him. So, um, just kind of seeing it happen. And it was like, we got a first round talent in the third round. So, although yeah. you, you knew you should have gone higher. Yeah, and everything happens for a reason, too, yeah. man. I honestly couldn't be happy where I'm at um, for a bunch of reasons. I have a couple of family in Houston. <laughs> system I feel like uh coincides well to my play style and, and I just met a bunch of guys too that, that Houston really turned into home for me 
Yeah, I mean, I mean when we draft you, man, I was like, yeah, he's going he gonna to be good for us, man. Because I seen you playing all over the field. You know, you played nickel, you played down. I said, that's that's yeah. what the Texans need. You know, that's how that's how, I do, that's how you play our defense. Yeah, you go, if you and come to use, you go play man coverage. Oh, yeah, you go play man coverage. You go play man coverage. So you better all the cover. And you know how to do that, so you, you excelled in it, man. That's why uh, it was a perfect position for you, man. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm pretty but, uh, sure. So after, you know, after Texas drafting the third round, what were the thoughts coming in? And, um, you know, we had, we had a good secondary. We had J. Joe, we had me, yeah. we had Jack. We had, we had guys in secondary. A ton of experience, a ton yeah, of guys that played together definitely. a long time. Um, so what, what, you know, what, what I really just came in, and my first goal was to try and earn the respect of my teammates, especially in the DB room. Mm-hmm. And I figured that the best way that I could do that was by making the right calls, especially making safety, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, one, no one is going to be able to respect you or even want you to be on the field if you're out there making the wrong calls, messing everybody up. So I figured the first way that I could earn the respect of my teammates was I was going to be the guy that when a call needed to be made, if I was asked a question, um, I was going to have the answer to it. And even if I said the wrong answer, I was going to say it competently because I learned back then if, you, if you're going to miss, miss at 100 miles per hour because it's going to make it easier to remember what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you know what I mean, if you're hesitant, you're not really sure, then the next time that question comes up, you're going to be thinking, you're going to be hesitant again, like, oh, damn, which, which one was the right one? Right. You know what I mean? So I'm going to miss at 100 miles per hour if I'm going to get a question wrong. But I always, I dove into the playbook. Um, I just wanted to be on time. I just wanted to contribute. You know what I mean? I knew it started off with special teams. Um, I was a PP. I embraced that role. I wasn't, you know what I mean? I didn't complain about playing special teams I, I actually enjoyed it you know what I mean because I just enjoyed being on the field playing and contributing um and I feel like that was a good segue into having some time whenever you actually got to get on the field and play some defense too absolutely and, I, and just knowing kind of how the process goes when making up a roster man a lot of guys um when they don't have the right mindset approaching special teams they find themselves on the way out no matter how talented they may be you know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's it's, it's a process, and a lot of guys that end up making their career by being special teams guys. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so definitely that 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 mindset I think helped uh, helped you in a, a huge way. Um, but let's talk about the rookie season. And you came in, and it was uh, you know, you started to contribute early. And uh, I just wanted to—I I know your your brother kind of exposed you to the life in the NFL and kind of the process. But when did you realize that it was a different level from actually be, you know being on the field and playing? When did when did you realize that? Um. I would say that came that came in the first preseason game. Actually, we played Kansas City because during that point, it was the first time being on a real field. It was the first time playing against, you know, the very first play, I'm guarding Travis Kelsey, and they threw the ball straight to him. You know what I mean? And it was just, it was just eye-opening to see that, you know what I mean, I'm on the field, and a lot of these guys are bigger, stronger, faster, but at the same time, I was like – but I can play with these guys, though. You know what I mean? And, and it was almost eye-opening in the sense that, 
You know what I mean? A lot of the stars you grow up looking up towards, um, especially in the college level when you're a kid, when you finally get here and you do have a bunch of freaks, but it's like, when you, when you embrace the rule that, you know what I mean? I'm as good as these guys and I can play with these guys and you know what? I'm pretty sure that soon I could be better than a lot of them too. And you have that mentality and you attack every day um, with that mindset that you're just going to focus on your responsibilities and get better and you're competing against yourself. Um, then, then just game by game, you just accumulate experience and you get better, you know? So I would say the, my first moment that I really started to build my confidence um, my rookie season was when I was guarding Rob Gronkowski when we were playing the Patriots. And truth be told, I actually made a mistake on that play because I was supposed to be guarding um, one of the running backs. It was 20 personnel in the backfield. But I was hyped. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, okay, I'm guarding the tight end. I thought it was 11 personnel. So I went out to the tight end. Kevin Johnson actually fixed me and guarded the running back in the backfield. So I was on Grunk. It was third down. I was playing off coverage. Brady saw the rookie on Rob Kukowski. He was like, okay. He was licking his chops. He ended up throwing the ball his way, and I made the play. You know, and the argument could have been made that it should have been a pick six. Um, but that was the first PBU I made in a real-life football game. You know what I mean? I was happy with this, just that at the time. And at that point, it was like, okay, I, like, I know I'm here. I know I can be an impact player. Right. No, man. And uh, I, I'm going to let Dre speak to – um, just the, in general relationship and uh, when you came in and coming into the DB room. But I just want to mention, like, one of my fondest memories, especially out of that year, was, you know, you you started to get rolling and we ended up playing up in Washington, man. And that and that that, that, that interception in the end zone that, that, that helped yeah. us lock that game down, man. Just kind of talk about uh, just how that opportunity, because from what I hear, I don't think you had many pick six, six in your career. So kind of talk about that. That was the first that. touchdown I ever had, man. <laughs> wow. That was the very first touchdown <laughs> I ever had because I had, I had some picks in, in college and, you know, in high school. Um, I had a combined one return yard for all my college picks put together. Wow. Because I caught all of them going backwards. You know, you fall down, you can't get back up. Um, and I got tackled at like the three-yard line uh, like two times in high school. That was the first time I actually scored a touchdown. You know what I mean? And I saw the lane. It just happened in slow motion. Um, yeah, the tight end had ran um, a seven route. And then he ended up making it a stop. And the ball just seen in the air, you know, plucked it out of the sky, saw a lane right down the sideline. Uh, you know, I had to turn on, you know, 4-3 speed. I, just, oh, man, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to let a quarterback catch me or nothing, man. That, that feeling when I finally got to the end zone, man, it, it was incredible. Like, it didn't even feel real in the moment. You know, you don't even appreciate it at the time of what you just uh -huh. did. And then a couple of plays later, you kind of think, reminisce. And you're like, that play just happened, you know, and it changed the game. Absolutely. That was one of my fondest memories. So I definitely wanted to bring that up. But Dre kind of talk about the relationship. Like I said, him coming in, a fellow Louisiana guy, you know him yeah. about his brother and things like that. Talk about, you know, what that was like, uh, having him come into the DB room, having him around as his rookie. Yeah, man, I, I was excited for, uh, you know, he came in. I was like, okay, we got another guy from, from the boot. So, you know, I, I wanted to kind of get in touch with him, man, start talking to him, see how his head was. But uh, you he, he, he always, you know, you're smart. You're super smart. You knew you knew everything, you know what I mean? You, you, you made sure, you, you know, you, you sat down and, and focused on stuff that you needed to focus on. And uh, I just remember that one time when uh, when you and Mitch got into it. When, uh, DJ, yeah, DJ, man, <laughs> that's, that's one of the stories I was going to want to bring up too, man. Like, yeah, you I, was pissed, man. Me too, is I had a big, a bunch of big brothers around me, man. When I mm -hmm. first came into Definitely. the room, 
you know, especially with Dre, you know, but also, you know, with Tyron, K-Jack, and J. Joe, and all of them I feel like contributed um, in different ways to kind of add into who I was. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dre kind of touched on a little bit, but, you know, sometimes when, you know, you're getting in this competitive stage, you and your DB coach might not always see eye to eye, but it's all in the spirit of trying to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular day, uh, yeah, me and Midget weren't, weren't on the same page. I actually stormed out of the room, right? I left the room. And I was sitting in my locker, you know what I mean, just, just mad. And the first person I see is Dre. And Dre came down. He sat down and talked with me, man. And you need that. You need that too, man. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need teammates that will come out and, you know, because this game can be stressful. It can be a lot of pressure. And you need guys that will have your back and come down and sit to you and just talk to you, man, and get your head back straight. And Dre did that for me, um, brought me back into the room. Um, that's a funny story now. I mean, it was probably pretty funny. <laughs> <back then too. laughs> it was. But yeah, man, that's 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 one of the that's that's a that's a funny that's a funny. Yeah, one. man. And I, I and I watch you. I watch you grow up, man. You know, I, I wasn't playing at the time, so I was like, I, I was sitting, I was sitting back, you know, just watching. And I watch you, you know, grow, especially who are who, who you are right now too. You kind of grew into, you know, some way bigger than what you were, you know what I mean? You, you kind of, yeah. you wouldn't like, you were like a, a baby, you know what I mean? You just a yeah. young-minded person, you yeah. know what I mean? You're you you 21 years old, you're a young kid. Yeah. So you had to kind of work through yourself, you know, work through all that stuff, work through like the ego and all that stuff. But uh, you, you mm-hmm. definitely did, bro. I'm proud of you, man. You definitely, you know, turn yourself around. Man, don't let, better don't player. let Dre fool you now either. If Jay would have played the whole season, he might have had seven picks. <laughs> Absolutely. He came back, he came back and set the yes. and, and was leading <laughs> the team picks with three and only played half a season. Crazy, yeah, man. crazy, crazy. Well, <laughs> that 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 is uh that that that, that is funny. Uh, that that is pretty funny. I, I also want to because we typically like to ask guys about the business of the NFL, but you briefly mentioned yeah. you know your exposure to that. But um, can you talk about just the overall? We understand the protests and all that stuff that was happening with your brother, but at, mm-hmm. how did that impact you, and how did that take your understanding of the business to another level? Obviously, how it impacted you in the draft, but just overall. Yeah, I mean, I just saw, I just saw that. What it made me realize is that organizations won't always make the decision that will help them win the most games. Mm-hmm. Now, winning games will help a team make money, but organizations are going to make the decision that's going to help them because it's a business, right? It's going to help them make profit, make money, um, and winning games helps you do that. But sometimes. Um, every once in the blue moon, there'll come a point where a decision, where an organization has to make a decision between maybe the move that's going to help players um, help the team win more games or the move that's going to help the team um, make more money. Um, and for instance, in just like a completely football sense one, aside from the social justice protests that Cap still hasn't been able to, um, or my brother really haven't been able to shake back from, even with like the Gardner Minshew thing um, versus Nick Foles where you had Minshew mania and they were selling the jorts and they were selling the mustaches and all that and this and other. And, you know, Gardner Minshew might one day turn into a, a, I mean, a great quarterback. But right now, in my opinion, Nick Foles was the guy. But they were making so much money mm-hmm. off of Gardner Minshew that that became the organization's decision to go forward with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what that means. That's, that's another instance where you start seeing the business side of the NFL. And when it came to the social justice stuff, um, Colin Kaepernick is better than, I mean, in my opinion, he could be a starter, but at least he could be on a roster at the very, very least, right? But then it starts becoming a decision of, um, you know, teams try and consider the risks and ticket sales and uh, merchandise. And, and, you know, in the last couple months, 
that decision has flipped, right? Because the NFL has completely changed his stance 180 degrees on how they feel about what he was doing before. And he's become a martyr in a sense. Um, but they really should have been doing that four years ago. You know what I mean? He's paid for it for four years, and he still has the effects of it to this day. And a lot of teams are talking about how, you know what I mean, oh, we're, we're interested, you know, we're interested. Well, you know what I mean? I know Colin. He hasn't had a call, mm-hmm. you know. And you just saying that you're interested isn't the same thing as action and actually inviting him out and him actually being there. You know what I mean? It, like, without the, without the action component, to me, all it is is PR. Yep. All you're doing is PR. You know, you're saving face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, again, I, with all that's happening at this moment, like you just touched on it, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it sounds good, but action, like you said, is the only thing that's going to really – make an impact. And that's what everything across the board from the front office down to the head coach and on the sideline is some, mm. it's, it's, we're such at a disadvantage when it comes to those positions that, you know, a lot of people now may be saying that their, their eyes are open to this stuff. But once we start seeing action, that that's, that's when we know things are really going to change. So, uh, because again, it, it could be hype, it could yeah. be wave, but will we be able to sustain it is really what I want to see happen. 100%. That's a legislator, too. You know, it sounds good with all the speaks, but we want to see action in laws, policies, um, and changes in the court system, you know, mm-hmm. to start making real changes about systematic oppression. Right. And we want to see players like Cap. Um, we've also had other vocal players, like you even talk about Mike Thomas and Kenny Stills, and both of them are still playing right now. But they could tell you stories, too, of how they've been affected and how um, people have looked at them sideways and maybe the the notes they've received in the mail, in the mail of people threatening them and stuff. Right, absolutely. So unfortunate. So yeah, <clears throat> Well, you know, you was a rookie when I was now you like the, the big dog. In the, in the, it's the crazy how fast that's switched around. Man. That's crazy. It's crazy there how fast yeah. like that transition went. But uh, you the big dog now, man. So like you know how how you feel being a leader now in the secondary. Um. I'm embracing it, you know, and I feel like the, the stance that, I've, that I'm taking right now is I try and do a lot of what you guys did for me, and that is I want to be a resource to all the guys coming in and to just get them situated in the culture of the room, right? So we had the tradition to where every Thursday night we would go and we'd watch the um, Thursday night football game. Now it's just a way for us to hang out, you know? So I want to keep that going. Just little activities, things like that to bring the – the group together, the chemistry, because it's more than just showing up in the building mm-hmm. and being with them there. You have to hang out outside the building. I firmly believe that. You need yeah. to know the names of your teammates' kids. You know, you need to you need to know all that information because all that is going to show up on the field with mm-hmm. how y'all play for each other, you know? Um, so just things like that, things to keep the group together, fun activities, um, having the group chat, um, really just being being a guy that's, you know, anytime you want to talk ball, hey, man, I'm there to talk ball with you. Like, I love talking ball. You want to talk about a coverage, you want to talk about a technique, you want to give me your perspective on things, um, let's talk ball. Because when we come down to us being on the field, it's going to be us out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if, we have, if, we, if we're on the same page and maybe we want to switch things up a little bit, you know, but still within the, the grand scheme of the game plan, um, but as long as we're still on the same page, that's how we're going to be successful. So building that chemistry – is is immensely important. It is very important, bro. Very important, man. So keep keep it up, man. Because like I said, you gonna need that. Like when in the playoff game, when it's when it's loud in there, super loud, you can't 
nobody just y'all just kind of look, look at each other like okay I got I got you, you got me that's how I yeah. man I mean I, I best year of my third year when everybody's coming deep night everybody came deep night everybody came and we were so close bro we were so tight we played so well together bro and that's how it yeah. worked man you can't like, so you, you gotta you gotta know your teammates man if you don't know your teammates you can't do anything so it can't be just a job it can't just exactly. be something that you clock into and clock out exactly. it's gotta be more than that it's gotta be a fraternity mm-hmm. you know, guys gotta hang out all the time Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. And I, again, I, I'm proud of you as well, man. I was around from the beginning and just to see you uh, stepping into that role, man. So proud of you, man. I know you got so much more ahead of you. Um, but I, I, do, I know you dabbled and talked a little bit about your brother exposing you to how to handle your money. Because um, I can remember just you coming as a rookie, man, and just how modest you were because you see some rookies, they coming in with cars that are you know, yeah. six, seven, you know, six figures, $200,000, yeah. $300,000 car. They might. I know how much you make. I know you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, 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 and, and I'm looking like, man, like, you know, I know how, to, how this thing works, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Your signing bonus, then you get taxed on that. You got to pay uh-huh. your agent. Then you got, you know, other expenditures throughout the year. And your, your rookie base is, you know, but so and much. Some guys try and live up to a hype or a front, you know. You can't keep up with the guys that have been in the league six, seven years. Absolutely. You got to know your place and know your role. And, you know what I mean? And you had that understanding. Again, I know that kind of comes from, you know, your brother being exposed. But, but it's different when you see that money hit your account because you can be prepared for it. Like, mm-hmm. hey, this is what happened. But when it hit your account kind of tell, t- talk a little bit about like, you know, how did you keep that understanding of saying, okay, I'm going to get me a modest car. I think you might have had an Acura or something for the most part, but how did you kind of say, okay, I'm going to make sure that I, that it's, it's bigger than just uh, me wanting to fulfill some of these needs, but really how I want to prepare myself long-term. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the short answer was, um, I kept driving my, my college car all the way through. The, I drove it through my entire rookie season, right? Um, but the short answer was I wasn't interested in all the flex and hype. You know what I mean? I was interested in getting on the field and being the best football player that I could be. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's where some guys go wrong is they get to the league and think that I made it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here. I've arrived. Like, no, no, young boy, you, you're just beginning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In that little bit of cash you change you're seeing, I say a little bit, relatively speaking, um, that you're seeing right now isn't anything compared to what you'll be able to make on your second contract. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? What you're going to make four or five years from now. Like, it's not about um, that first deal that you do. It's really about the second, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was just my mentality. You know, I, I, did, I didn't get caught up on um, the life outside of, you know what I mean? Really, really football, you know, all the, you know, the going to the scenes, going on party all the time. And I did that, you know what I mean? You're going to do that when you're young. Yeah. I did that too. I had fun. But I already, I always had my priorities in check on what was important to me. And at you know, the end of the day, especially my rookie year, and even now still, was I'm coming here to play ball. I'm coming here to earn a spot on the roster, to earn a position. Um, I'm coming here to make an impact on the field. And that was always, I wasn't focused on the car. Um, and, you know, and as I, you know, settled in more and I got more comfortable and I started to know I'm going to be in Houston a long time, um, then I started settling in more, you know, and bought a house and got myself a nicer vehicle. Um, but, you know, I think there, there's a progression to it. You can't just start off by coming in and blowing all your money because, you know, cars are a depreciating asset. You do that and then all of a sudden you got to sell it soon. You're just losing 20 fans just off rip right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Well, we know, you know, you know, we got a whole, you got a long career ahead of you. You know, have you started thinking about what you want to do after you finish playing? You know, it's funny you just said that. I actually, um, I actually just had a conversation with a guy named Ken, who is a merger and acquisition attorney. Mm, okay. Um, and that field um, really kind of, really kind of, you know, piqued my interest because I always liked business. I'm a numbers guy. I suck at writing papers. Um, but I could do numbers and math all day. Um, but I also like, you know, paying attention to law and kind of how you can use it, you know, knowledge is power and, uh, mm -hmm. and just knowing how to, how, to, how to move around, you know what I mean, a system of rules, right? So he was explaining his job to me and it just seemed like it was really the best of both worlds because you're practicing, you know what I mean? You're getting to write the contracts, you're doing all the agreements, you're writing the language of it down. But then there's all business too, so you're paying attention to um, the 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 logistics of the deal as far as um, whether investment, you know, uh, securities for investment, whether you know the liability, whether if you invest in this, is it a secured investment to where if it doesn't work out, are you getting your money back? Is it not secured to where you're gonna lose investment? What's the risk? Um, all those are just really interesting to me. So I thought that would be a really cool field to maybe dabble into down the road. Absolutely, man. Again, I, you know, again, we, we, and Dre, uh, he's big on it too, just making sure guys are starting to think about these things while they're still playing, you know, and not just kind of once their career is over, now they're stepping out there cold and trying to figure things out and, you know, taking these different cal uncalculated risks. So, um, so we're, yeah. we're big on yeah. that thing. A quick message to him, and, and a lot of guys don't take advantage of this, but my message to everyone out there is you got to take advantage of meeting people and networking while everyone wants to know you right now. Exactly. Like right perfect. now, we're in a position, you know what I mean? We get to play football on Sundays, Mondays. Um, you know, right now, everyone wants to know and talk to you. You got to take advantage of that to network people, meet people, go shake people's hands, go do um, interviews, internships with people. Because when you're done playing, 90% of those doors are going to close. You know what I mean? You're going to want to rely on the network that you created while you're playing ball. Absolutely. That's real. And that's key. And I think that is very important. And we want to make sure that we get that type of message out there. So, um, Dre, you got any other questions for him? Man, nah, bro. Just glad to see you, man. Been a minute. But uh, good talking to you, bro. You know, my boy, bro. 100%, man. All love, bro. We we'll, we'll appreciate you jumping on the podcast, man. Taking some time out of your day uh, during this time, getting ready for the upcoming season. We'll definitely be uh, following you and supporting you all throughout the year, man. So appreciate yeah. you again. We know you're going to do well, but we're going to continue to support you, man. So thanks for jumping on the podcast. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on the show, yeah. man. You guys take all it right, easy. Bro. Much love. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life, been grinding all my life. Yeah. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, I'm married to this guy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.